as Hong Kong students struggle to try and enhance the modest degree of democracy that currently still exists here, in two Southeast Asian nations, Indonesia and Thailand, efforts are underway to destroy democracy altogether. In Thailand, the destruction is well-nigh complete following the latest military coup on May the 22nd this year. Freedom of speech and freedom of the press have both been abolished. It is far too soon for some brave ties to start bringing both freedoms back into use. Of course, the duly elected government, led by Prime Minister Yinlak Shinawat, was then immediately overthrown and replaced by an interim military junta led by the army chief general Prayut Chan Ocha, who right up until that moment had been denying that he would respond to the almost daily yellow shirt demonstrations with the coup that they implicitly called for. Sadly, it was a familiar Thai political pattern for what ought to be a coup-weary Thai population. It was, after all, the umpteenth military coup since the overthrow of the absolute monarchy by a coup way back in 1932. One specialist, who claims he did careful counting, maintains that there have been 12 successful coups since 1932, plus nine unsuccessful ones. One Canadian commentator whimsically points out that also since 1932, against the 21 coups, there have also been 25 general elections. I suppose this makes Thailand a democracy by a slim margin. But as martial law was imposed and as the junta gave itself absolute powers under an interim constitution, it was very clear that there would not be a relatively quick handover back to civilian powers, as there was after the 2006 coup against Thaksin Shinawat's government. On July the 31st, King Bumihol approved the 200 members of the new National Assembly to replace the elected parliament. No professional politicians were appointed. The new assembly had a military majority of 105 members, which had included 40 generals, 21 lieutenant generals, 17 air chief marshals and 14 admirals. The Economist reported that the army has given itself 500 days or so to establish genuine democracy, which further emphasised that the junta was thinking of staying in power for a long time. At the August 7th opening of the new assembly, General Bayut was appointed Prime Minister. At the end of September, he relinquished his position as Army Chief, which was assumed by General Um Dondej Sitabut, who reportedly assured Prime Minister Prayut that the army would not replace him with a counter-coup. Meanwhile, a former Army Chief, Prawit Wangsuwan, is Prayut's Deputy Prime Minister, the army chief who preceded Prayut is the new interior minister, while the army's chief of defence forces, Tanasak Patima Pragon, is the foreign minister, a departure from previous coup-makers' tendency to appoint regular foreign policy professionals like Tanat Gorman to be Thailand's top diplomat. All these moves suggest a sustained period of authoritarian rule in Thailand. 
So does the fact that the junta took five months until the beginning of October before finally appointing a 250-member panel to draw up what will be Thailand's 18th constitution since 1932. It will consist of one member from every one of Thailand's 77 provinces, plus 173 people from the 11 subject areas, ranging from politics to the economy. But democratic debates, such as have occurred when previous Thai constitutions have been drafted, are definitely not expected this time. The 250 appointed members of the Constitution Drafting Committee are expected to produce a new constitution in 120 days. They have also been charged with devising political reforms for Thailand's broken political system. What does the hunter mean by this vague phrase, broken political system? Possibly they do not know themselves as yet. But the Economist reports that the new rulers have been candid. Quote, they intend to prevent the winner-take-all system that allowed the party of Thaksin Shinawat, a telecoms tycoon who became a populist prime minister, to win every free general election held since 2001. Unquote. This ties in with the deep distrust and even hatred felt in Thai conservative and military circles towards Thaksin mainly because he aroused a degree of popularity and electoral support that have eluded most Thai politicians. It also ties in with some of the rhetoric heard when the yellow shirts were demonstrating for the ouster of Yin Lak's recent government. The conservative elite, and probably the military too, blame the voting system rather than themselves. All that Thaksin has done is what any Thai professional politician should have done years ago but didn't. That is, devised policies that would serve the voters in Thailand's long-neglected north and northeast regions. Those are the regions that have enabled Thaksin's party to win four successive free elections. But most other democratic politicians simply shied away from presenting policies which responded to the regional needs. Rather than seeing this clearly, obviously the Conservatives, and now the military, blame the democratic system, not the substance. They fail to recognise that ending the winner-take-all system means also ending the universal suffrage of one tie, one vote, that the only cure for taxing success is more shrewd, thoughtful and articulate politicians who don't look down upon backward Thai regions. Instead of simplistically seeing the Shinawats as a threat, Thai conservatives have to learn to play the same game. The possibility that the military do not necessarily share the conservative anti-Shinawat outlook is suggested by the fact that after the May coup, Yin Luck was still allowed to go to Dubai, where Thaksin lives in exile, for her brother's birthday celebrations. Perhaps the military who gave her permission were hoping that she would not come back. Another interesting sign. The junta ordered the payment of sizable rice subsidies for farmers, which had been initiated but not paid by the Yinlak government. The big post-coup questions remain. How long will the military regime stay in power? King Bumipol, 86, appears frail after several recent bouts of illness. He was hospitalised again this week for an operation to remove his gallbladder.
Any signs that his long reign was finally coming to an end will probably make many ties welcome continued military rule and would certainly make the hunter feel that they should endure. So is Prayut another Pibulsongram or Saritaranat? They were legendary military rulers who extended their initial coup d'etat into a long authoritarian era. It seems unlikely. A Sarit or a Pibul would never have waited as long as Prayut did before taking over. Meanwhile, Hong Kong helps ties to circumvent censorship. The only reminder that anyone in Thailand is resentful about being governed by unelected leaders is the image of the protests in Hong Kong, which have been plastered, splashed across all the front pages of Thai newspapers. For sheer political audacity, Indonesia has not recently seen anything to beat it. Thailand has what amounts to a tradition of coup d'etat. Indonesia does not. But in the early hours of Friday, September the 26th, the loser in the recent Indonesian presidential election, former Special Forces General and former Suharto son-in-law, Prabowo Subianto, carried out a coup as he sought to radically diminish Indonesian democracy and begin the process of demolishing the constitutional changes which buttressed the rise of his victorious opponent, Joko Widodo, to the Indonesian presidency. Joko Widodo, popularly known as Jokowi throughout Indonesia, politically rose in public estimation, first by being twice elected mayor in the Javanese town of Solo, and then by being elected governor by the people of the national capital, Jakarta. He didn't spend his time in office merely wheeling and dealing within the local elite, but concentrated on actually accomplishing developments sought by the people who had voted for him. Jokowi epitomised the new breed of Indonesian politicians who began to emerge as a result of the democratic reforms which followed upon the end of the authoritarian rule of former President Suharto. Prabowo Subianto, on the other hand, represented the wheelers and dealers in the conservative power elite who emerged during the 32 years Suharto was in power. It was a close presidential race, with a likely Subianto win regularly predicted by TV and radio stations owned by his backers, and also forecast regularly by previously unknown political pollsters created by Subianto's close associates. Supported by these sycophants, Subianto refused to concede when the election commission announced that Jokowi had won the presidency by 6% of the total vote. He still refused to concede, let alone congratulate Jokowi, when both the Election Commission and the Indonesian Constitutional Court, whose verdict was final, reaffirmed Jokowi's election victory. Subianto then transferred the contest to the old parliament, meeting in its final session. In the most recent Indonesian parliamentary elections, the party of which Jokowi is a member, the Indonesian Democratic Party of Struggle, led by former President Megawati Sukarnaputri, emerged as the largest, but without a majority on its own. Subianto put together a coalition of five parties, including his own, and then put forward a bill abolishing a post-Sahato reform, the direct election of local leaders.
It was this bill ending the direct election of provincial governors, regency heads and city mayors, some 542 jobs in all, and returning to the Sahato-era practice of indirect election by legislative bodies, which was passed in the early hours of September the 26th by 226 votes to 135. An ignoble role was played by the abstention of the Democratic Party led by outgoing President Susilo Bambang Yudhoyono, then at the United Nations in New York. The party texted their leader before the vote, asking for instructions, and he texted back, I'll call you later. But many Indonesians were absolutely outraged by the passage of this bill. The BBC's Karishma Vaswani reported the fierce reaction on social media, quote, Many Indonesians have taken to social media to express their anger. Hashtag RIP Democracy has become a trending topic on Twitter in Indonesia, and some Indonesians have put up black boxes as their profile picture on Facebook in protest, unquote. President Yudhoyono got that message. The next Thursday, he issued, in effect, not a veto of that bill, but a holding decree which suspends the anti-election bill until it is passed or rejected by the next parliament. Subianto's coalition has already indicated that it will now also promote a bill to end the direct election of presidents. President-elect Widodo contented himself with a low-key statement saying the Indonesian people would all know who took away their political rights. But on October the 20th, in his inaugural speech, Jokowi will have to be far more forceful than that in defence of the real democracy that has elevated him to the presidency but is now in danger of disappearing.